Welcome to the Thrive Beyond Divorce podcast. I'm Jennifer Hetherington, and today I have with me Lucy Bloom, but we're mixing things up a bit today. Usually I'm doing the interviewing, but Lucy has kindly agreed to turn the tables, and today I'm the interview subject. So Lucy, perhaps you could just introduce yourself for us. Okay, thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Lucy Bloom. I'm a speaker, an author, a consultant, I go into businesses and fix them, and I'm happily divorced. So this subject does interest me, so I'm um, happy to be here. Thank you very much. Well, over to you. Okay, oh, this is so much fun. Give <laughs> me a show to run. Um, I've seen a fair bit of you, and look, let's just cover this straight up front. What is different about Divorce Hub? What you, what is different about you and the model and the way you work? Okay, so we have a sign, uh, which my son actually designed and wants commission off, um, which says we're not just lawyers and, and our tagline is Thrive Beyond Divorce. So Divorce Hub came about, I've had my own family law firm, it was a traditional family law model. And for a long time, I'd been thinking that there's a lot that's missing and a lot of um, scaffolding that's really needed when people are going through divorce that lawyers can't provide. And I was finding that I was needing to refer clients to lots of different people to help them through the process. And while I was sort of thinking about this and how on earth am I ever going to have time to put this together, a colleague who's not a lawyer who I used to work with approached me with this idea that she had. And it turns out that that was actually exactly what she was thinking. So we had this meeting of minds and um, over a couple of glasses of wine, joined forces and decided we'd start Divorce Hub. And what we do that is different is, yes, I'm the specialist family lawyer who's in charge of the family law side of things, but we have a range of other services that we offer, including uh, we have um, psychologists, uh, we work with financial planners, mortgage brokers, um, we have wellness treatments, yoga, Pilates, um, exercise and diet consulting, pretty oh, wills, estates, pretty much all of the stuff that people need around them when they're going through what can be an incredibly stressful time in their lives. And we bring it all together in one place so that we don't have to outsource it to different people because oh, awesome. so it really is a hub. Absolutely. And, and it's one place. Um, which with COVID-19, that's a bit of a challenge, but um, it, it avoids that stress of people having to go and find a new place and meet a new person all at the same time. They just come to the one familiar environment. You can't underestimate all those additional stresses. I know this sounds little, but, you know, like finding a park when you're going to a new supplier, when your life feels like it's falling apart beneath you, to have it all literally in one place. Anyway, I think a hub is a brilliant idea. Um, let's let's go through this in a chronological kind of way because that suits my brain. <laughs> so when people approach divorce, it's one of two ways. It's either inflicted upon them or it's a decision they they have decided on. Um, so tell me first, when you, you realise that divorce is going to be your path, I say you saddling up the divorce horse. And you're still keeping this to yourself. How do you advise women? It's women you work with. Um, I work with both women and men, although I don't tend to attract the angry men. <laughs> How good for you. That's it. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere you send them? Uh, I'll, I just, I don't, I think I'm blacklisted by them. <laughs> uh, How excellent. Um, okay, so someone has decided that they are going um, to separate 
with a view to divorce, but they haven't told their partner yet, how do you advise they get their ducks in a row? Okay, so um, we have a separation planning service that we take people through, and there's a lot of different steps involved in leading up to that communication point and um, making sure that they've got all their documents together, all the information that we need, and that it's a planned process because um, unless there's a safety issue, it's best to actually have a structured plan to leave so that you do it correctly. And that can save people a lot of money and stress down the track if they do it correctly. So it's about um, getting enough information so that we can give advice beforehand about what likely outcomes are going to be because so many people don't know what their situation is going to be. So it's, it's information, it, knowledge is power and, and just having those things prepared. That doesn't mean preparing for war. Uh, because we don't have to have a conflictual divorce, but it means being prepared for the process and not then having to scramble in the midst of an emotional upheaval and trying to manage your children's emotions potentially as well. I remember um, not wanting a lawyer who would behave like an attack dog. It was really important to me that I didn't want this to, to become a war. Um, then there's the other way that divorce happens and, and it's when it's inflicted on you and that's how it was for me. My husband just one day went, oh, I want a divorce, just hollered that at me and, um, and then it kind of flowed from there. He really meant it. Um, so how, how do you help um, a client uh, who's, who's it's, it's not their decision but they need to start taking steps to make yeah. it happen and to look after their interests, what do you advise to those people? So I, it, it is actually really quite different for those people because when people go through divorce, they go through a cycle of grief, the same thing that happens when someone dies. And if you've made the decision yourself, you're further through that cycle. Oh, but so if, if you didn't make the decision, the decider has gone further than you have. So they're at the point of, come on, let's get this done. They've done their, their grieving, they're ready to move. But the person who's had it inflicted upon them is in all of that anger, denial, bargaining, all of those things that happen when you're right in the stories of grief. So what we really need to do is protect that person and help them to make sensible decisions or defer decisions until they're ready to be made and to try to just get the other person to be a bit patient and wait because we don't want people to make decisions in the height of grieving uh, when they're not going to be acting in their own self-interest and um, more susceptible to believing the other party's uh, nonsense, let's call it. So true. Yeah. Uh, so so true. for us, it's about providing that emotional support and working out. Yeah. And I need lots of reassurance. And what I'll do... With, uh, because of the nonsense. Yeah. And what I'll do with people is break it down into small steps. If you go away and do this, I can take care of X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D. Just do this bit for me and then I can take care of the rest. But if it gets too hard for you to do that bit, we can take that back. It'll save you some money to do it, but let us know if it becomes too much and we'll take it back. So it's really about pacing is really important. Mm. And uh, I, I, for me too, I was pretty desperate. I remember saying to... My husband at the time, look, why don't we give $150,000 donation to a charity rather than give it to lawyers? 
<laughs> because I thought we're going to just give away our wealth fighting with each other. Um, and he was on the same page. He said, yeah, let's, let's not make this a, an, a fight that is expensive. So what are the options for couples who want to stay out of court? Uh, there are some really, really, really good options. And court is absolutely a place of last resort. Uh, there's a bit of a saying amongst family lawyers, nobody's mental health was ever improved by going to court, including the lawyers. Um, and our delays in our court system were already phenomenal. Uh, two to three years, that's blowing out now because of COVID-19. So yeah, if you want to spend three to five years of your life in court, you know, by all means, but um, anything that you gain from it, you potentially lose in legal fees, but also in stress, lost income, impacts on your health, all of that. So actual options that are helpful. Uh, there's really two main ones that uh, help people control their own process. And that's mediation, which is familiar to most people, but uh, in short, it's two people in a room with a facilitator. If it's about parenting, you don't need to have lawyers there normally. If there's money involved, really need to have the lawyers so that people have got um, legal advice and that any agreements reached are going to be approved by the court because they've got to fall within a range of what's reasonable. Um, can be done in separate rooms. Sometimes people don't want to sit in the same room as each other and it can be counterproductive. Uh, but when you're talking about kids, it's, if, if safety's not an issue, try and get in the same room and have a conversation about the future of your children. Um, the other option, which is... not quite an um, efficient way to do it. So, yeah. you know, my ex and I, we did it over months of really unfriendly text messages. And I think it would have been <laughs> much more efficient way to do it would be, would have been with what I would call a referee. So yeah. a mediator type person. Yeah, that's yeah. great advice. Yeah, I, I tell clients don't text. I have a, a no texting rule. It's really, really, really unhelpful because uh, I don't want to sit there and read all your text messages, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. So if I don't want to do it and you're paying me to, why would a judge want to? Uh, I so don't the want to only text about kid, what I call kid logistics. Yeah. Only text about kid logistics. As soon as it got out of that, I would just phase out. Yeah. The, the other problem with text messages is it's very reactive. So people can say things in the heat of the moment. Mm. So I like people to pause, think about it and let's send an email instead. And maybe we need to save that email as a draft, walk away, have a cup of coffee or a glass of water, not, a, not alcohol <laughs> and, and then come back. Good advice. And no, send I did, but yes, yeah, such good advice. Yeah. So the other process option, which is really helpful for people to control their process is called collaborative divorce or collaborative practice. And um, that's, um, I guess, an expansion on mediation. And we bring in an interdisciplinary team. So really great for people who've got businesses, because we can bring in a neutral financial specialist who can unravel what's going on there. Sometimes, a lot of the time, one party has a lot more financial knowledge and control than the other. Mm -hmm. It levels that playing field. But in a way that that person's coming in as a neutral rather than being adversarial. So, and you, then you're only paying for one expert. And you're not paying the lawyers to try and interpret financial documents. Yeah. You've got one person doing it. Um, a communication and family professional can help with the emotional stuff. So if there's been an affair, um, some kind of betrayal, 
we, that discussion can be taken offline away from the lawyers to deal with that issue, which can sometimes be stopping people from being able to make a decision. So um, that's another process which is really effective. And parties actually sign a contract that they're not going to go to court. So it's truly a commitment to, we are going to work this out. We'll be as creative as we have to, but we're not going to court. That's so awesome. Um, in a lot of couples that you, you referred to that imbalance in the financial literacy and for lots of lots of couples uh, rightly or wrongly one uh, one person in that couple is the main breadwinner or earns a lot more than the other so what if your ex is the one that really is in control what if they're the breadwinner they they're the one with the fabulous future income uh, and they also control everything. So they know how the mortgage works and they know who your financial planner is. They know the passwords to everything. Um, what's your advice um, to the person who's on the back foot on a financial? I, I have a lot of clients in that situation, particularly at the moment. Um, and the first thing I do is normalise it for them. But it, it's actually quite normal for one person to make the financial decisions and the other person to make the parenting decisions because that's part of the unspoken delegation that happens in a marriage because you can't sit down and have a meeting every single day about every single issue and, and people just fall into their natural roles. And after separation, tensions arise when one person tries to get into the other's role, which happens if there's kids and money. Um, so it's about um, information, making sure that we've got the information. We bring in um, a forensic accountant if we need to, to help our client interpret the business documents and get an idea of what what is this business worth what's going on here explain this to me um, and getting in, getting information that the other parties obliged to provide and we have the knowledge to understand what we're looking for and offering some reassurance and knowing what to dig for and and getting that information together if there's a lack of access to funds, we can also help with that. So a lot of people don't realise um, that there's an option to apply not just for child support, but for spousal maintenance. And I see people commenting, oh, you know, we've got no property to divide. We don't need to do anything. But if there's an income stream, yeah. then people can actually get an ongoing order for spousal maintenance in the absence of there being enough assets to divide. So that's one way. And um, some of my clients work with uh, legal finance providers where they don't have access to funds to um, progress a property settlement, but they can borrow from a legal finance provider who gets paid out of their settlement at the end. Great, great advice. Um, when we first split, I took 10 grand, my ex took 10 grand, and then we agreed not to touch the rest. We, we, oh, we didn't just agree, we went to the bank and made everything double signatory. Good. Um, and that gave us, you know, each a bit of cash flow. And for the first time in my adult life, I opened a bank account in my name only. Um, so I now tell my kids, you never give up your financial independence. But was that a good plan? Did we muddle through that okay? We gave yeah. us a little bit of cash flow, but then we closed the rest of things up and we weren't unreasonable if something needed to be paid for we just double signed yeah um, but was that a good step absolutely both people need access to money and some some friends family facebook fools uh, will tell you take all the money take all the money in the joint bank account and that's just antagonistic and aggressive and guaranteed 
to cause a war. You know, you, it's like throwing oil on a fire. How to, how to annoy your ex-partner 101, take all the money. Um, taking, you know, taking an amount each um, or, you know, taking half and leaving half for the other person, or if it's a large sum, doing as you did, take enough each and then lock the funds down to protect them. Because once that money's gone, I can tell you it's gone. If somebody decides in a post-divorce um, fit of peak, well, I'm going to go and, you know, take around the world flight. We'll be able to do that eventually again one day. Um, or splash some money on, um, you know, fine dining or, you know, whatever. You can't get those things back. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Fancy lingerie. Uh, yes, yes. Those sorts of things. You can't get those back. You know, if someone goes and buys a house, well, that's still part of the property pool if it was purchased after separation. But if they buy jewellery, its value is, you know, about a quarter to a third of what you pay for it. So protect the money that's there, uh, but be sensible about it. And one thing people forget is that if they've got direct debits coming out, got to make sure that they're covered somehow. Yes, or cancel some of them. I remember we stupidly had two um two policy um life insurance policies two of them uh that were still coming out of our accounts that took me a year to get to the bottom of um costs uh, reducing legal costs i imagine the hub reduces some of those or certainly the running around um what are your tips for reducing legal costs because we we've all heard horror stories about our yep. costs you know, the divorce cost me 200000 yeah. that kind of thing, which is why I said to my ex right at the start, let's not do this the expensive way. So what are the ways that people can reduce costs? So there's quite a few ways. One is to talk to the person that's the most, most relevant person to talk to. So that's why we have counsellors at the hub, because I'm a very unqualified and expensive counsellor. Um, counsellors charge about half what I do, and they're much better at it. So don't use your lawyer as a counsellor, because that's it just doesn't make lawyer. sense. But you're desperate to talk to someone. So yeah. I remember the very first lawyer, I did make a, one or two calls to lawyers at the start of the process. And I blurted out all this stuff the lawyer did not need to know. So yeah. that's such good advice. You've got to, you've got to tell the right professional. Yeah. Well, we, we <laughs> you need to talk to someone who knows what they're, what, they're, yeah. what they're hearing. We also went a step further with the Divorce Hub and my partner is actually our client support manager and she will chat with a client without charging them just to check in and be the, the hand holder, the buddy, just that sounding board when they're just at the, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And she'll say, okay, well, you need to talk to Jennifer or you need an appointment with yeah. the counsellor and she'll triage it, but they can have that chat without it costing money. And I don't, that's a specific service that we've developed, but generally speaking, um, don't ring up every five minutes to have a chat. Um, and don't send three emails. Sit down, work out what are your questions, what are your burning questions, make a list of them and save them up and send them. And I love a numbered list. Send me an email with 10 questions and then I can answer with the same numbers. Boom, we're done. So um, it's about lawyers either charge by time or by words. Um, and if you restrict both of those, then you'll save your legal costs. Oh, Save it up. That's with any supplier. You know, I, I look after our, the strata in our building and so I need to do all the communication with our strata company. And I Monday is strata day. I, I have decided for myself I only communicate with them on a Monday. So the rest of the week, I, I gather the questions 
and then I send one email on a Monday. So if the, that, that works for me with all my suppliers, it might work the same with a lawyer, is just choose a day and that's the day that you pump out all the questions, you save them all up and send them to your lawyer. It's also about being really organised with your documents. And um, if you come in, I've had clients come in with a folder and there's just, they've, they've had a, a case already and there's just a mess of papers. And I say, well, where's your latest court order? And they can't actually locate it. And even just getting one of those display books that the kids have for school and putting the things in the plastic sleeve so that if your lawyer needs something, you can get your hands on it quickly. That uh, and then that's also less stressful because when you're asked for something, you can find it. We work on a pretty much paperless office. So I love um, scanned PDFs and everything nicely organised. And we have give clients the option of uploading their documents themselves through a secure client portal rather than them sending them to us and us processing them, all of which costs money. But again, it depends on the client. Some people just can't cope with that. Or if they're busy professionals running a business, they go, you know what, that it's actually better for me to run my business and you do that. So it's about looking for where you can make savings without having false economy. And you, I'm a Google Docs lady. Would you not like to just say a link to my Google Docs folder where I've put everything for you? Is that a bit insecure? Why? Would oh, we, if if that's what works for you, we'll work with it. But if you haven't already done that, then we'll say, look, you can upload them this way. Whatever works best for the client. Okay. So what about? So we've talked about you know keeping out of court, keeping control of costs. How do you know start the process? Oh, divorce is such an emotional event in your life. It's one of the hardest things I've ever been through. I had a year in hospital with a motorcycle accident, which tops my worst year ever. And then the year I was divorced was my next worst year. It has such an emotional impact on, on your life. So uh, what are your, what's your advice on how to protect yourself emotionally and how to limit that emotional impact on your life? I'm also divorced, so I, I get it. Um, and my partner is as well, so uh, my business partner. So we get that it is really, really tough. And I think it's about um, understanding that this is going to be different and you're going to need to do things differently to get through it and finding something that works for you. For me, I took up yoga and running. Um, and that was how I just got my headspace, took after my, looked after myself physically, but also emotionally. And I'd go and in the middle of the day, I was, I was going through my own divorce and doing other people's divorces as my job. So oh, wow. um, my lunch times, if it just got too much, I'd pop down to the gym and do a you know 40 minute yoga class and go back to work. And that was just that time that I could just stop and get away from everything and breathe. Um, so that was really important. And using counsellors, I really am so happy when a client is using a counsellor mm. because there's a lot of stuff to process. And I wish more people in Australia would use counsellors. Women seem to be more open to it than men, but the oh. people who get through their divorces best are the ones who are doing that talking with someone who is uh, not emotionally invested in it. Talking to your friends is one thing, but then they're, they're biased. They, they, they're oh, not, yeah. And you it's know. blind leading the blind. But you do you need a good gas bag and you do need yeah. to check for the answers in the bottom of all your wine bottles and your buddies are the best 
<laughs> but yeah. I'm the best people to do that with. But it is the blind leading the blind, and you're absolutely right. They're totally biased. You also, but you also want to make sure that you still have friends and family around after your divorce. And if all you do is talk about your divorce, they're going to get sick of it. You know, they they actually want to be uplifted. And I mean, I had a friend who all she would talk about was her emotional woes and it got to the point where it was really draining me so again make sure that you've got an outlet where you can get some closure on those things mm. aside from your friends and yeah, and don't I, sit at home having a pity party you've got to get out and be active even if it's a walk around the block yeah so true i was lucky i had a friend just going through the same stuff at the same time as me. So we could bore the snores out of each other and we got through it together. And we now we're both five years post um, disaster. <laughs> and so yeah. we, we barely talk about our exes anymore. Yeah. Um, one of the things I do recommend to my friends as they, as they start this process is to do their best to um, try to avoid revenge. Um, because I, th I think that flows through everything, the money conversation, um, the emotional stuff, because revenge feels disgusting. Revenge is like, I think there's quotes out there about, you know, when you take revenge, it's like drinking poison yourself and hoping it'll kill the other person. It's really bad for you. Um, is that something that you advise your clients as well, is to step away from that revenge? Yeah. It's interesting you just brought that, but because I was just thinking before you said it, um, that it's really important not to get so caught up in the emotion and the need to be right that you lose sight of the bigger picture. And I think that's all part of the, the revenge, um, the I'm right, you're wrong, the principle of the matter. There's one place for principles, it's called school. Um, and um, it, it's really about making sure you've got that perspective. But that's part of my job as a lawyer to help people get that perspective and to have be able to be brave enough to have the conversation to say, you know what, I know that's what you want to happen, but this is what it's going to cost you to do that. And that's not always just dollars. Um, it's about the impact that it will have on their children. I do a lot of work as well as a parenting coordinator rather than a lawyer. And I see those high conflict couples where it's all been about rights and revenge and they can't talk to each other and their kids are stuck in a war zone. And it's really about having those discussions with them and saying, you know what, you're messing up your kids. Divorce doesn't harm children. It's what parents do during their divorce that harms kids. Yeah, that's such good advice. Look, I love a good success story and I speak about this often in my speeches about how thinking on the best case scenario is actually really good for you. It's, you know, lowers your blood pressure, uh, makes you feel much better when you're, you're actually, you're actually fantasizing almost and dreaming up what the best case scenario might look like. And that's why I mentioned revenge because best case scenario is not your ex's head on a stake. It's actually it's actually a good divorce and it's a good life ahead with these kids if you have them and that sort of thing. Um, but I love hearing success stories and you don't often hear, I have one friend who, uh, who says, I had a great divorce. Gosh, it was good. And I have a really wonderful ex. I have only one friend who speaks like that. So I would love to hear some success stories from your clients who have had a great result 
uh, or who um, who didn't think they'd get anything or went into it with nothing? Or um, I'd love to hear your success stories. Sure. Look, I think for me, the most successful outcome is uh, the ones that aren't, they're not my clients for very long because we work it out quickly. Yeah. We get consent orders, we move on. They're the ones that send all their friends to me because, you know, they're like, oh, just, you know, she'll help you get it sorted out. It won't cost you a fortune. That to me is the success. But there are the cases where the other party will dig in their heels and we have to keep going. Um, and I've had a number of matters where my clients have not, uh, due to no fault of their own, ended up in a protracted battle just to get the other party to give them something. And um, I don't want to go into too much detail about specific cases because it could identify my clients. But um, I've had one with which was both parenting and property, another which was property. And in both cases, um, the ex didn't want my client to get anything. Just walk away with what you've got. Um, and be grateful that you don't have to pay me something. Um, and we ended up going to trial and um, much to the dismay of the exes in both situations, uh, my client ended up with more than what the original offer had been to accept from the other party. So uh, we were right on the money. And um, in those cases, we've actually got the opportunity to seek a costs order against the other person because they should have resolved the matter earlier. So I've got a few like that where they just people, they're told you're not going to get anything. And I've given the advice that was different to that. And it turned out that my advice was right. So I always feel good when, when I'm on the mark there. But one particular... So much patience. Yeah, and it's and it's really tough, and they it's difficult for the client because it's a long road for them, and they're putting a lot of faith and trust in me in that situation. Um, you mentioned but, uh, oh no, keep going. Yeah, oh, I was going to say a, a different example of um, a lovely story. I just this one just makes me feel kind of warm and fuzzy inside when I think about it. And <laughs> so I had a, a few years ago, I had a matter and um, we did this as a collaborative divorce and the client came to me. She was absolutely devastated. Her husband had had an affair um, and it had just happened because of a terrible workplace situation and finding comfort with a colleague who was um, understanding that um, my client was a stay at home parent. She'd had a, a casual job earning probably $15 an hour or something and really couldn't financially support herself. Everything was reliant on the husband and getting his very good superannuation policy when they retired and they were planning for the retirement and suddenly boom, there's an affair. He says, I want to leave. And she says, but we had this life plan. We've been working towards this for 35 years. What am I going to do? And we worked with that couple in a collaborative process and we had a neutral financial professional. And one of the questions that he and I asked her was around her values and worries around money. And I'll never forget her saying, I'm worried. And it kind of came out in this blurt of, of emotion um, once we really, really pushed, it was, I'm worried I'm going to end up the little old lady walking the streets with all my worldly goods in a battered brown suitcase and, and that's going to be my life. And she was truly fearful that she was going to go from this wife of a successful business person to living out of a suitcase on the streets. And it's a really real fear. You know, women over yep. 55 are the largest group of homeless. Yep. And she, she was about 
I think she's about 58. So we worked with her with the financial neutral and an, and an independent financial advisor so that when she got her settlement, it could be structured in a way that worked for her. So we, we resolved that matter. Um, we had a, a lovely meeting where um, she actually told her husband that that was her fear. And he said, you know, regardless of the settlement, I'm always going to make sure you're okay. You're the mother of my children. And it was just this really, and it, he was genuine about it. Anyway, because she's got the financial advisor, she doesn't need to worry about that. So fast forward about, I think, four years, um, the financial advisor that I'd connected her with invited me to a lunch, which was their update at the Hilton Hotel ballroom yep. with all the clients and the update on the market and how, how wonderfully we've done for you. And she didn't tell me, but my old client was there and she sat her next to me. I'm going to call her Mary. And um, I just went, oh my God, Mary, how are you doing? And she said, well, um, I've just come back from my fourth cruise um, and I've got two more booked and um, I've got my nice little apartment and my investments are doing really well. Um, I've, um, I've connected with a group of um, women that I met on the first cruise and we catch up and we go to the show, we go to the theatre, we get a pack all the time, we have regular catch-ups. And then she sat there, this is someone who was just not across the finances, she sat there taking notes throughout the presentation in her little notebook. And I just went, wow, that's, so my goal is to, for, to have people better divorced than they were together. Yeah. And she went and from this woman. From you is that when things have worked out well in future, you should send your lawyer a note to yeah. say, hey, things have worked out okay. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you wouldn't hear a lot of that. You wouldn't get that, you know, down the track feedback. I had one client who came in and she was um, moving countries. So she wanted to pick up her file before she left. And I said, look, you know, how are things going? She was about four years down the track. And she said, oh my God, my divorce was the best thing that ever happened to me. He was yeah. holding me back. And, and I was like, okay. And she said, I'm just, yeah. at the time yeah. it was really tough and I didn't want it, but geez, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. So yeah. now when people say they're getting divorced, you know, people's natural reaction is to say, oh, I'm sorry. Look, I don't want couples to break up. I, I talk to people about counselling all the time. Um, I recommend it to everyone. Try couples counselling. A lot of people won't go. That's their choice. Uh, but if things can't work out, it doesn't have to actually be the end of your life. Yeah, it doesn't. I describe it like a, um, a gallstone. It's really painful at the time. It sucks hard. But life is so much better afterwards. <laughs> and, and that's where I'm at that stage, you know, five years on, I'm happier than I ever imagined I could be. I hadn't realised just how deeply miserable I was for two whole decades. Yeah. So, and divorce became, that, um, became the gateway to, to a much better life. It was just a pretty painful gateway. It was like, you know, like stepping on broken glass to get through the damn gateway. But it was, um, it was such a positive thing. Um, now, let, you mentioned a couple of things there. You talked about um, uh, financial agreement and parenting agreement. Um, and people right at the start of the process won't, won't understand what those separate items are. So just give... Um, Give listeners, uh, a, in a nutshell, how property settlements are actually worked out. Sure. Because that's so a really the, important piece. 
yeah so there's there's a pro, there's a process that's sometimes described as four steps sometimes five the first is to establish whether or not there should be a property settlement and in most cases the answer is yes there is a small percentage of cases where um, the courts determine that that's not appropriate most people if they've got you know a 20 year marriage a couple of kids and they've got shared assets that they're going to get the tick it's a very rare case that doesn't fulfill the, that criteria so i don't really want to go down there because there'd be very few people listening that would fit in that category so then we have to identify and value all of the assets and um, the important thing that people need to um, be aware of is that everything's divided as at the date it's being divided not the date of separation so if you take two years to do your divorce it's the values in two years time of whatever exists in two years time. So if somebody goes out and buys another property, that's in the property pool. If someone gets an inheritance, that's in the property pool. Yeah, right. Okay. So people want to draw on the line, a line in the sand at separation. If you want to do that, then do your settlement quickly because so much can change. Property values can go up and down. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah. We say, look, don't muck around. Um, so uh, looking at what our property pool is, superannuation goes in, um, everything goes into that, that pot. Then the next phase is to look at the contributions that have been made towards that pool of property by each party. And this is the one where people get a little bit confused um, because often in a long marriage, that contribution is seen as being equal or 50-50. Mm -hmm. And this is where there's a myth around... Um, around Australia that property settlements 50-50 and that's just not often the contributions are seen as 50-50 because equal weight is given to the role of a homemaker as a breadwinner which is the way it should be um, but there can be variations on that if someone has brought in a significant initial contribution mm. um, say they've brought in a property that's enabled um, other properties to be purchased mm. because of the security bringing in a valuable business um, farming families often that the family farms brought in so those things can swing the contributions to a greater percentage to one party same thing with the inheritance um, that can swing it so even though the inheritance is in the property pool if the person who inherited the money or whatever it was gets uh, credit for that on the contributions so if everything's equal you get together when you're 20 you both got nothing you work hard you don't get any money from family you just do the best you can most of the time those contributions will be seen as being 50 50. Mm -hmm. there's a next step and this is an important one and, and it's um, where an adjustment can be made to that contributions based percentage and that's to take into account things like people's age their health um, and most significantly, their income and earning capacity mm, and, the effect, and the effect that their marriage has had on that. So, uh, for instance, I've had quite a few clients over the years who at the beginning of the marriage, they were teachers or nurses. They stopped to have the kids. Now they have to go back to university to be able to re-register and do their old profession and that start at the lowest pay grade in some situations. So I had a client who was a nurse educator, which is one of the highest levels and she would have gone in as pretty much an enrolled nurse. And so, whereas the husband um, had built a career, uh, she'd supported that by looking after the kids. So it's the, it's not just earning capacity, it's how the marriage has impacted that. If you're married for five years 
and you start out with one person, a millionaire and the other one, a waitress five years later, if that's still the situation, doesn't mean there's necessarily going to be a massive adjustment because you're in the same position you were when you started. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really to take into account the fact that um, over the course of say a 20 year marriage, people do things with their careers for the good of the family and that that needs to be taken into account. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a percentage adjustment can be made at that stage to that overall contributions based entitlement. And then we get an overall figure and most lawyers will give you a range because there's a range in, in which um, the court says a, a reasonable settlement can fall because not every judge will give you the same result. So a, a, a lawyer, most lawyers, if they're doing their job properly, will give you a range within which your settlement should fall. And then it's um, how do we get that? It, how much is going to be super? Are we selling the house as one person, keeping it and paying the other one out? How do we get that percentage? Mm, I see. Uh, and then there's the parenting side of it so you've worked out the property settlement how does um i understand that um you can't play off you can't use one to play off the other so like i'll give you an extra million if you give me the kids like you can't play them off each other they're very separate agreements am i right yeah oh people try though Um, some, sometimes where I see it happening there is people uh, will want more time with the kids and the, uh, the parent who is less financial might say, well, you know, I don't want to give them more time with the kids because I'll lose child support. So sometimes I'll say, look, what's more important to you here? And we'll do a child support agreement to sit alongside a parenting plan so that the money is taken out of it. Um, so, um, people can do a parenting plan or they can do a consent order. Uh, most people these days either work out parenting between themselves or use family dispute resolution, which is a form of mediation. It was brought in by the Howard government after their inquiry, and it's been hugely successful. And, um, you can't go to court to argue about your kids unless you've done mediation. You have to get a certificate. There's a limited range of exceptions where there's family violence or abuse, that sort of thing. Um, but generally speaking, um, you have to mediate about your kids. You've got to talk about them and try and work it out yourselves before you ask a stranger to do it for you, which is really quite sensible. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything about the process, the whole divorce process, that isn't sensible? That you just go, there's this weird quirk that's the dumbest thing ever. Is there anything oh. that isn't fair that's dumb as hell? Oh, the fact that our courts are chronically underfunded and it takes forever to to deal with allegations of abuse or domestic violence. So people end up stuck in a system where um, if they're not believed, they believe their kids are at risk because they're having time with the other parent. Or if they are believed as a parent not seeing their kids and not getting a chance to have their day in court for two to three years. So that is it's something that really, really um, frustrates me that we don't get a chance to test those very serious allegations at an early stage. So if you were Prime Minister, how would you change that? <laughs> how, how would you actually make that happen? Just throw a stack of funding at it? Um, I would change the entry process to the court. So at the moment, you can't go to court for parenting unless you've done mediation. Make people do that for property as well. Um, there is a new process that's come into the courts where um, there are registrars now case managing 
property matters so that people have to do things uh, before they can get before a judge. Uh, but um, there are still ways around that and you can end up with people just dragging it out. Um, make it compulsory to provide your documents, to have a mediation, uh, and then let's leave the court to deal with those serious issues um, that impact the safety of children and throw money at that and experts um, so that we can have, in, in New Zealand, they have an independent children's lawyer appointed in every single matter. We don't have that here. Um, having that person um, it, it, available would triage a lot of the issues and get them really focused. But our independent children's lawyers are funded by legal aid. Legal aid doesn't have enough money. I would make sure that everybody, uh, and if I had a magic wand, everyone would be able to get access to have a lawyer if they wanted one. Mm. Well, Jennifer for PM. <laughs> no way. No, thank you. Yeah, me either. I hate to go into politics. Uh, is there anything we've missed? Anything that if someone is at the start of this process and they've stumbled upon this podcast and their brains are bursting because there's a lot of really juicy, good detail. I wish I had heard all this before I went into the process. Is there anything we've missed? Anything you need to lob in there? Yeah, protect, protect yourself. If you're separating, plan for it. Um, but once you've done it, protect yourself. Stay off social media. Don't plaster your life on Facebook. Um, that can actually be used as evidence. If you are struggling to communicate with your ex, this is a really big one. Um, there are things that you can do that are self-help. Um, get a second phone if you can, or, or a dual SIM phone, so that you can screen the calls from the ex so you don't have to receive them. Um, or get a cheap phone and, and put the SIM in that he uses and keep it in a drawer and choose when you're going to look at that because you might need to keep that phone for the kids to communicate with your ex. Right, um, another thing that I tell everyone to do, it's something I did myself, is get a new email address and give that to the people you want to hear from. Your mum, your dad, um, your family, your best friends, mm. um, your bank um, and your lawyer and let all the spam, all the newsletters that you subscribe to and and the messages from the ex go to the other one. And that way you can choose when you read those communications yeah, and you don't point. get that feeling of anxiety every time you open your email. <gasps> Is there going to be one from him or her that's just going to unsettle my day? And I really encourage clients to do that. And when they do it, it makes a big difference. I had one client recently who said, oh, yeah, I keep meaning to do that. And once she did, she's like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm so glad I did it. I just check once a week now. And I did, I took one, went one step further. I took that old email address off my phone yeah. so that I didn't see any of that unless I chose to open my lappy, open my emails and see that address. Yeah, it's, so it's about having that choice. And um, if there's issues of domestic violence, I, I did a podcast um, a few weeks ago with a lawyer who specialises in domestic violence, which has got some really helpful um, information about specifics in there. And if someone's in that situation, I'd really encourage them to go to that. But one thing that's critical is security of devices and making sure that there's no tracking on them. And particularly the kids' devices. People think about their own phone and removing the access to trace the phone but they forget that the kids have got google or apple accounts attached to their devices and if someone's in a safety risk situation they can be found through the kids devices if they're not also white that's good advice i fell for that one and lots of couples do this they have their phones on the same bill so husband wife 
same bill because it, for us it was put through our business and I didn't realize that when we separated he was the name on the account and he had had every right to not let me keep my old number now that wasn't a too big a deal for me but I have a friend who it completely destroyed her business that her ex just refused to give her her number what my ex did was and I didn't realize this was he could look up and see who I was phoning and mm -hmm. see which numbers I was texting a lot. Uh, and another thing was the e-tag in my car was we both had e-tags on the same accounts and he was looking up where I was using my e-tag and where I was driving often. This was long after we separated. He was still keeping an eye on where I was going and then would use that information against me in arguments. It was horrible. So I should have very early on. And he, he graciously gave me my number and I got to put it on my own bill and keep all my contacts. But I hadn't thought of that. The e-tag and my phone should have been moved onto separate bills. F-Pulse transactions are another one. We're so quick to tap and pay. And that shows people where you're buying things. And I had one client who was mortified. She had to hand over her bank statements and she didn't have a credit card. She just had her savings account and she did stuff on FPOS. And she said to me, can I black stuff out? I said, no, you can't. We've got to produce them. And I said, okay, tell me what's going on here. And she was absolutely mortified. She said, oh, I went to a hen's party a couple of months ago and I got tasked with going and buying the naughty gift. And there's a transaction on there from an adult store and he's going to see it. And she was just absolutely mortified. So I said, that's a funny example, but there are situations where safety can be compromised by that. So if you need to be judicious about how you're using your cards, uh, because that can be used to find out information about you. Mm. All such good advice. Wonderful. This has been a really good chat. And um, I think if, if um, people are right at the start of that process, there is so much good stuff here. One last question, though. You're based in Brisbane, but you can look after clients all over Australia. I, I have clients in um, Yapoon, Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, everywhere. Um, generally, the, a lot of the time that I spend with clients after our first meeting is on the phone or by email anyway. Yeah. Um, and we use Zoom a lot and, and everybody's doing that now. It's really changing the way that family law is being done. But I've, I also, uh, when we can fly, um, fly into state for meetings with clients and, and chunk in uh, a block of meetings at a time. So, yeah, we, um, we may eventually have offices in other cities, but um, right now um, all plans for, for expansion into other states are dependent on the opening of borders. Yeah, of course. Um, and now can you sign documentation digitally now? I know that yeah. plans and stuff, surveyors' plans can all be signed off digitally now. Yeah, the, the courts have relaxed the requirements. So um, we can actually use electronic signing. So we're using um, Adobe Sign to yeah, send those yeah. through to clients and then we upload them to the court electronically. It's all working pretty well. Um, we can even do transfer documents for uh, settlements of, of um, exchange of property as well. Great. Wonderful. Well, you're a very easy lady to interview. <laughs> This has been a really... Oh, I, one thing that my family will, and friends will say about me is I do like to talk. So <laughs> thanks for letting me. Oh, you're welcome. Well, thanks very much, Lucy. It was lovely chatting with you. No worries. You are most welcome.